Super Yacht Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, um, we've got a, a great panel of six people here to discuss the, the topic that we've got today. I'll just uh, quickly introduce everybody. Uh, first, we've got Gordon Percy, highly experienced yacht captain. Uh, we have Jonathan Harris-Lewis from Trident Trust. Jacqueline Lynn from Edmistons. Elise Chep... Got this wrong. <laughs> After asking you specifically. Chiapara. <laughs> Elise Chiapara from the amazing Pelerus um, Adventure Travel Company, um, Andrew Home from Insignia Crew, and Sarah Ballinger from Crew Glue. Um, I'll just ask all the, the speakers to briefly just introduce a little bit about what they do. Gordon. Uh, good afternoon. Yes, my name is Gordon Percy, yacht captain of a few years. Uh, worked on sailing boats, power boats. Two around the world navigations and presently working on a 72 meter motor yacht. Uh, good afternoon, my name's Jonathan. Um, I uh, manage the Trident Employment Services Division of Trident Trust. I'm based in Guernsey and we currently have just over 13,000 employees um, that we, uh, we administer both in terms of private yacht sector and also in the commercial shipping sector. Yes, good afternoon. My name is Jacqueline Lyne. I started my career in yachting, working on boats. I then moved into the project management field in new construction projects, which I did for seven years. And in 2007, I sold that business to Nick Edmiston to set up his crew recruitment and his yacht management division. I'm still there 13 years later, so something must be okay. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Elise Chapara. I'm currently the head of yacht expeditions at Polaris, which is experiential travel. Uh, but before that, I did over 10 years as senior crew and managed to do a couple of circumnavigations, a couple of new builds, a load of refits, had my fair few crew interactions, I think. <laughs> Good afternoon, my name's Andrew Holm, uh, former Royal Marine for 12 years. Uh, founder of Insignia Crew, uh, launched in 2017. Uh, our USP is a broad uh, and wide uh, skill base of former military men and women who we uh, place into the super yacht sector. Hello, I'm Sarah Ballinger, co-founder of Crew Glue, a business which is employed to help crew to develop as a team and to upskill leaders to manage those crew so that they are able to deliver safety and service at the highest level. Okay, so um, let's put our first question to you, Sarah. How do we safeguard our crew at sea, and what are we doing to support their own personal development? So I think this, uh, this, this is a two-parter. In terms of safeguarding crew, we have some mechanics in place now for, for that that we're all probably aware of. Um, we have Nautilus and... Uh, Andrew, hi Andrew. Ha Andrew and I are both on the um, body with ICE one that looks after some of the newest initiatives for crew welfare along with the mission for seafarers. So when we talk about um, crew welfare in those terms, there are some mechanics in place and there's definitely room for more. 
I think that normalising crew welfare as part of the process is still something we're working towards. And what I'm seeing more and more of are people who are um, speaking on the crew's behalf and asking for the things that they need and more and more independent and sort of third-party providers now coming forward to join ranks with yacht management companies and others who are already invested in that, in that business to support their crew. So I think that would be the first part. In terms of personal <coughs> development, naturally I've got something to say about that. And I think the first thing is that whilst we've always been very good at ensuring that people are technically trained and developed to deliver what needs to be delivered on board, one of the things that we can still do more of is give people the personal skills to manage in this incredible environment. And let's be honest, there are more good news stories than bad. However, it is a very testing environment. There are huge... Uh, expectations upon crew in terms of their their um, hours of work and the delivery of service at a level which is unsurpassed and I think we can do more of that what I hate to use the term soft skills but human interaction training it's all about hit right now that's very fashionable well I'd like that to be human interaction training and when do we teach people how to do that stuff so I think there's room for more of that on top of the technical skills training that we're already delivering so that they can rise through the ranks and make it a career rather than a summer job. Okay. Do we think that these issues have been largely ignored up until fairly recently? Um, have they been ignored? I don't know if they've been ignored and I'm wondering whether they are becoming more... Um, they're coming into our consciousness more because the rise of social media means that we're now getting a much greater insight into what's happening with crew. Um, it's much more widely publicised when things uh, are required for crew than perhaps it was historically. I think that the doors are opening a little bit in terms of supiotting what it looks like. And, you know, we're seeing articles and all sorts of things yeah. that are telling tales of terror and, and awfulness. Um, we're not seeing as much of the good news, which is a shame, but I think there's room for that to, to change too. Okay. Um, I'd like to ask Gordon, because you've been at the real sharp end of it for a long time as a master. Um, are we doing enough about these issues? And if not, what else could we, or rather should we, be doing? Um, just as a, from my point of view as a yacht captain, um, firstly, obviously safety is uh, a very high priority for us. I think, as an industry, we've done quite well the past 20, 30 years. We've definitely improved an awful lot uh, by leaps and bounds, as has many other industries. Um, but I think, obviously, we can't be complacent. There's a lot more we can do. And I think, for example, we can look at the aviation industry as uh, one industry where uh, their safety record is excellent. Um, and I think we should try and follow on in the, in the same way as they have done over the past few years. Um, as for personal improvement and advancement, um, again, yes, we have, I think, uh, moved forward in that area over the past few years. Um, but again, a lot of things we can do. Obviously, there's a very good career progress now for particularly deck and engineering departments. But I think um, the girls on the interior side have been left behind somewhat. Um, and there's definitely not the same sort of um, room for advancement as we have in the deck departments, which is a shame, and hopefully in the years to come that might change. Okay. Um, next, I want to talk a bit about mental health now. 
there's possible to me it seems that this has become a massive issue in the last few years i don't know whether that has actually changed dynamically or just as sarah was saying it's the social media it's in our faces all the time um, it may well always have been there but it certainly wasn't up at the surface where it is now um, can i ask you again sarah um, what are we doing to address the whole mental health thing because it does seem to have become so big in our sector now I'm really reassured that this is being spoken about openly, that it's something which is no longer as taboo as a subject, and we've got our royals talking about it, everybody's talking about it on the television. It's becoming a subject that we can openly discuss. We're talking about it right now. Um, what are we doing to address it? Can we address this, or is it more about what do we do to manage what may be an inevitable part of being a human being? Um, is it about putting in the, um, putting in some sort of support mechanism for people when they struggle? Um, I, don't, I don't know the answer. And like you, I'm not sure whether this has always been prevalent and we're just more aware of it now, or whether there is indeed an increase in the number of cases. But I think in super yachting, again, you have an incredible, it's a, such a high-pressured environment that if there is a chink in somebody's armour, perhaps it's more likely to crack under that kind of pressure. And what can we do to, uh, to sort of uh, to change some of that? I think that's a big question to, to throw out. Does anyone else um, have any point of view on whether we think this has got worse or it's just the perception of it? I think there's a mixture of both of those things. I think certainly um, there's a lot more attention focused on it now, so it's yeah. become more obvious, and it's, it's now become a, to a topic that we can talk about, which really it hasn't been talked about before. But I do think that as yacht crews get bigger and boats get bigger and, and the tensions that, that go with the job, um, especially boats that are running with uh, multiple rotational crew positions, double seasons, very, very stressful environments, we are seeing, we're certainly seeing on our boat that there is a greater um, number of incidents that we've been made aware of. And I think that's, you know, we've all had to learn from that because it's certainly something that we, we didn't really notice in the past. Um, but I think the very good thing about it is that, as Sarah said, we're talking about it now and our yacht crew are talking about it now. And in fact, it was quite funny. I was speaking to one young um, chief officer on one of our boats and we had a long discussion about social media, um, harassment, social bullying, um, social media bullying, and he said to me, you know, we have a real problem. He said, no offense, <laughs> Gordon, he said, but our captain, he doesn't use social media, so he doesn't really understand the pressures we are under as young crew each day and every day because, you know, social media is a part of their lives. But the fact that he felt he could talk about it and we've talked about a social media policy on board, how to use it responsibly, how to make crew aware of it. I think it, the good thing is we're talking about it and yeah. crew are learning to notify, notice the signs and I think that's, that's very important in our okay. industry. Elise, um, you spent 10 years, I think, <laughs> actually on board, didn't you, before oh, yeah. you moved into your current role. So you've got tons of experience. What can, what can you contribute to this? Um, I think it's great now, as we keep saying, mental health is being talked about and it's, that's all wonderful and very good and everyone's happy to assist someone who is who is having an issue but what we potentially need to be bringing more to the be attentive as heads of department being more aware of is watching for burnout 
And I bend out in my over a decade on board at least twice. I had to leave the boat. I loved the boat. I really loved the owner. I had to get off. And the only way I could get off was by quitting because I wasn't allowed time off. I had a rotation in place that didn't happen and it, dates get keep getting pushed back because yeah. you're required that's because the owner wants you on board, which is great because you have a good relationship and you enjoy your job. And that's something we haven't mentioned is that the career crew really care very, very deeply about their owner, about their charter guests. They want for those people to have the most incredible experience. Everyone there's a huge amount of like prestige when crew are in bars talking to each other about the cool stuff they've done and how, how happy their guests were. And it's so they're reluctant so, to step back when they should be taking step a step back because they're so committed to what yeah. they're doing. And like yeah. I've I've been on leave and been answering emails from my owner from yeah. suppliers and, and allowing crew to take that time off. I never got a proper rotation. That was always the goal. I'm very jealous of one of my friends who's now in her year 14 in the industry and she's just got her first ever rotation. <laughs> she's very proud of herself for getting it. But it's always offered and it's very rarely delivered. Yeah, okay. Uh, Jonathan, you deal with a lot of crew, not just in the yachting sector. Is this something that ever finds itself on your desk at all? To be honest, I, um, I was just going to say, I, I see both ends of, of the employment uh, arrangement at the very beginning, and then generally people will contact me when things go wrong, um, either the captain or, or one of the crew members. Um, we have seen, in, probably in the last year, an increase in, in uh, contracts being terminated early because they just don't suit the lifestyle. Now, there are some excellent organisations, um, and I just don't think we take advantage of those um, as best we could. Yep. And, uh, you know, from a crew management point of view um, and an employer point of view, I think we could embrace that a lot, a lot more than we do currently. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's worth noting that the higher your crew turnaround, the more money you're spending on yeah, sure. recruitment, flying people yep. in and out, all of the background, uniform. Oh, my God, uniform. And, and then that's all hidden costs that, that doesn't really get, uh, get explained to, to the owner. Um, yeah. we, we, we see um, some more favourable crew being flown around the world um, quite regularly. Um, and, uh, um, you know, they'll bring in temporary replacements who, again, may be the first time on board a, a, a yacht. It doesn't, doesn't work out. Can I just jump in there and just sure. say something? What we've found with, our, with most of our enlightened yacht owners um, is that they're, they're very interested in crew turnover and they're certainly very interested in the cost associated with a high crew turnover. And um, what we try and do with, with most of our managed yachts is to have an end-of-year um, wrap-up with all of our crew on an individual basis in an effort to try and, um, try and reduce the number of turnover, but also to, to address any problems before they become serious problems. So, the owners get furnished with the end-of-year crew report. We talk about career progression. We talk about life after yachting. Certainly, when you go back to the interior crew, we talk about what they're going to be doing next if there isn't a, a long-term career opportunity. But I think most importantly with that, we do talk to our crew individually, and they feel they can trust you. But also, we manage to highlight problems and put in place solutions before they become either crew leaving or a real issue on yeah. board. And I think that's very, very important. Uh, Ian, if I may, I, um, I went to the ISWAN presentation in London, Imarsat, in 2018, um, and was, uh, the event was concluded, and, and uh, the facts and figures were, were shared with everybody, but nobody shared a solution to the problem. And um, I'm absolutely staggered that um, up until 
this week when we've just launched what I believe to be a very powerful solution is um, addressing uh, the issue before it happens. So a, uh, a, a much more focused approach to um, a preemptive strike, if you will, on the crew in order to build their resilience. So This actually comes on to my next question. Um, I, I happen to know that Andrew's company is particularly good at doing this. Um, I'm a tremendous advocate of prevention rather than cure. So a question firstly for you, Andrew. Are we simply allowing too many people into the industry that are just not made of the right stuff to survive the rigours of this incredibly unique environment and sector that we work in? I think based on the fact that there are multiple uh, platforms, if you will, um, in order to uh, access the industry, uh, be that social media or via a credible career agency, um, that by the very nature of those uh, access points, the, the, the industry is... Um, accepting people that perhaps it, that don't belong there, um, that there must be a very serious sort of focus paid to uh, almost individually to uh, the people that are talking about entering the industry uh, and we take a mental driven approach to ensure that they are totally vetted and uh, indeed right to fit the rigours of what's ahead of them. And many of them don't realise just how hard it is. Yeah, no, um, for sure. And I think um, some may be guilty of washing over that to, uh, to, to, in order to fill a vacancy, which inevitably will end in disaster because they then leave and then you're back to square one again. Yeah. Gordon, as a master, your experience on over the decades about this? And has it got worse? Are we getting more people that aren't able to cope with, with the rigours of, the, of the role? Absolutely, yeah, it's yeah. changed a lot. I was just saying somewhere at lunch today, in the olden days, you wanted to work in a boat because you liked boats, you liked being at sea, and you liked to travel. Today, we've got much bigger boats, much bigger crew, and it's a job. It's just a job. They don't, 90% of them are not interested in anything else. It's just a job on a boat. And as you say, they have not a clue what they're stepping into. But unfortunately, I think because it's such a unique industry, there's no way that you can anticipate if that person's going to fit the bill or not. And the only way is to try them out. And it's for them, it's a trial as well. They can step aboard and just say that within two weeks they'll realize this is not for me. And maybe within two weeks we realize he or she is not for us. Uh, I don't know how, how else you can train or anticipate whether a crew member is going to fit the bill or not. I really don't know. Elise, again, from your 10 years' experience on board, what so can you...? I completely agree with that. We, yep. we build in it. I think it's fairly standard across the industry, the three-month trial, um, you, you, where you can leave or you can be asked to leave if you're not a good fit, and that's invaluable. And I think as well, with the, working with reputable crew agents who you can be honest with about the good and the bad and the ugly of the job, of any specific role, and they can be honest with their trusted crew, they put the right crew to you. And that's an important part of the hiring process is working with the crew agent that you trust or someone recommendation that you trust. And then from there, you're less likely to get people, but people can seem like the perfect candidate and they don't sure. work out. Or it can be a personal thing as well with a crew. Is you there, to, you're living with the people as well as working. Is there <laughs> anything that's used in other recruitment sectors? Are there any other tools that could be genuinely valid to help filter people in this process? 
Can I say something on that? I think there are tools to be used, and we've certainly put them in place. We do do psychometric, psychometric profiling. profiling we use yeah. a lot of um, different tools. I'm a trained Hogan practitioner, um, which is one way of doing things, that, but there are many others. And I think when we work with our captains and crews, we do a, a very detailed, if you like, job description. Um, we know the boats, we know what the constraints are going to be, we know the, the stresses they're going to be under, and then we do, and, and this is with a lot of our owners and owners reps blessing, we do personality profilings of the three, yeah. or the psychometric profiling of the three last candidates, and the one that's got the, the best fit, if you like, for that particular job, especially um, when you get into quite advanced profiling and you can see how people will react under stress, yeah. it certainly gives you one extra step to try and make sure that you've got the right person in place to put forward. I think otherwise it can be a bit hit and miss. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, Personally, I think, uh, I would say this, but uh, I think we're at a slight advantage uh, based on the pool of people that we have access to. Um, they, they've already uh, had, in, in a great many uh, of the uh, cases, have already been through five to seven years service in the armed forces internationally. It's uh, not just a UK-based operation. Um, and so they are sort of tried and tested in terms of stress, strain, long hours, uh, understanding rank structure, uh, and, and delivering uh, on, on, upon very high expectation. Um, so from that perspective, I think we are quite unique, um, but we are also implementing uh, further strategies uh, that will further underpin the quality of the people we bring to the market. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to just address a, a question up here, actually, because it's, it's quite interesting. Um, I, the, the question at the top there, crew can earn very good money. Um, I, I published an article a couple of months ago, and it was entitled The Single Best Piece of Advice I Can Give to Any Yacht Crew Member. And basically, though I'm not a financial advisor, it's very generic, is be very smart what you do with your money. Particularly if someone comes into the industry at 19 years old, even if they are committed to the industry as a career, they could be out of it in 10 years. So they don't have to endure the extended um, you know, likelihood of burnout as they go on. So I think, yeah, the crew could, if they were a lot smarter with their money, they wouldn't necessarily have to um, you know, endure the, <laughs> the rigors for so long. I think, I think what we always... Ian, just on that point, uh, what I would say, it gives people purpose as well. There's, a, there's, there's an end goal uh, and which underpins retention. Yeah. We used to have a saying when we, we spoke to the crews, please don't forget that you're not one of the guests. Because, yeah. you know, they come into your thing in the first this. few years, yeah. you know, they're buying the Gucci handbags and the Prada sunglasses and, and the money is disappearing at a phenomenal rate. And you're thinking, you know, this will come to an end at some stage. So For we sure. spend a lot of time trying to advise, particularly on interior crew, trying to advise them about a life after yachting. So what are you going to invest your money in? Will it be property? Will it be further education? Yep. Will it be starting your own business? So that actually when you do finally jump off boats, have, you've got something to go to. Yeah, you've got something to go to, and you're yeah, not just okay. cast adrift. Um, just a little bit conscious of time. I'd like to move, uh, again, it ties in with one of the, the audience questions here. Um, we've all come across challenging owners. So I'd like to start with you, Gordon, on this, because you're probably just for the amount of years you've been in the business. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you deal with, let's, let's put more of a slant on it, the most challenging owners? Um, how do you deal with them? Um, diplomacy. Indeed. <laughs> experience. Lots of it. <laughs> lots, of ex yeah, lots of diplomatic experience. Um, I, I think the ability to turn the situation around, of course, you never say no to an owner, do you? 
Um, but you can say no to an owner in a different way. You can spin it around, you can, um, you can make them think of a better idea. You know, oh, he wants to go to A. Sell him a solution to his problem. Absolutely, yeah. Or to I your mean, you, problem. You've got you to you think out of <laughs> the box sometimes. Maybe it's better to go to B as opposed to A, and you've got to persuade him it's better. Maybe, maybe I want to go there because I know it's going to be safer, it's going to be a nice place to be weather-wise, etc. So you have to promote it. You have to, and if you can make him change his mind re by himself, the solution. You're, you're halfway there. Andrew? <coughs> I was going to come in. I spent two years on a, on a 70 meter yacht um, with a reasonably challenging owner, albeit nothing was really um, uh, out of the ordinary in terms of his expectations. Um, but what, what the, one of the simplest solutions was uh, the, the elegance in which the crew worked around somebody if he was having a bad day, or she, um, and uh, the captain who uh, to this day still uh, inspires me, um, was particularly good at doing that. Um, he was very good at leadership, delegation, down to the crew who understood what they needed to do to calm a situation. And there were children involved, and when the children were looked after, everything calmed down. Um, and that was on a particularly bad day. Otherwise, it's just that elegant management. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't always said one of the, you know, one of the best ways to run anything properly is to surround yourself by very competent people and to empower them to do their jobs properly, you know, off their own back. So that's a, that's a big thing. Do um, Gordon, would you say that these the, the skills of diplomacy and reading situations and coming up with solutions, etc., are a bit lacking in some of the the younger, less experienced captains? Um, yes. I think simply because they are younger it's and inexperienced. Just age and experience. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I was crap in the beginning as well. I'm possibly still crap. Yeah. But um, I've survived this far. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's just... It's, you can't, I don't think you can go to school and learn it all, but um, I think it comes with experience. Experience yeah. is a wonderful thing. Mm. Yeah, and something that's never taught in any, any formal way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have to say I've worked for some very challenging owners. Um, I happen to be the chef of um, and Alan Sugar, and I obviously didn't manage him very well because he fired me. That's still a book waiting to be written. I'm going to be the first to have fired. And I was fired not because I couldn't cook, apparently, but because I opted to stay with my husband when he had to have eye surgery. And I was warned by Peter McCarthy. He said, you will be fired. I said, don't be ridiculous. How can I be fired? Anyway, I was fired, and that was... That was pretty devastating because I'd never been fired before, but you know, you learn from everything. But some of the owners that we work with are very challenging, and I'd just like to tell a little story because it's actually a true story, but it's quite funny. I worked for a chap and we took his boat, my husband was the captain, we took his boat up to St Andrews for the British Golf Open, and we had all the big players on board, and the real problem with taking a big 62-metre boat up to St Andrews is there's a tidal issue, so we could only land the tender in the port, which was a... Uh, one of those ports that's protected, um, I can't think of the word, you know, at high tide. And when it wasn't high tide, you had to land the tender on the beach. And then one of our strapping deckhands used to jump in the water and piggyback this billionaire owner of ours ashore, and then he would go off and to the golf course. And um, at one stage, he wanted to do something ashore, and it was low tide, and he got so furious. And I was in the bridge, and, and my husband was in the bridge, and we had to, you know, we were just chatting about how we were going to get him ashore. And he got so furious and the vein stood out on his hand and he, I thought he might have a stroke. And he said, Captain, for God's sake, do something about the tide. <laughs> and that's a true story. And it was, 
What do you do <laughs> now? Can you? Uh, anyway, my husband said, you better do something about the tide, so because you're much closer to God than we might ever be. But, but we do, do get those sort of yeah, just, situations, yeah. and diplomacy, you're right, is about uh, anything left to you. There's not much solution to be found. Elise, uh, tales of or advice on challenging owners? <laughs> Uh, when I first started yachting and I got my first job and I was bright-eyed and so keen, uh, my aunt, who is a charter broker, turned around to me and she said, welcome to yachting, darling. You don't have a boss, you have an owner and you have a master. Two very different people treat them with the same respect. And that has stood by me <laughs> very well. I think one of the important things, which is, all, is something I learned for definitely, um, is don't pretend to know the answer. If you don't know, it's, you say, okay, let me go and find out and go find it out and come back very quickly. <laughs> but otherwise, um, people don't become wealthy enough to own or charter a, a super yacht without being able to detect bullshit. Sorry for swearing. Um, but they don't. And if you try and cover your own lack of knowledge, then they will detect that and they will instantly... You're written off, that's it, you're done. You've lost your authority. You need to know what you can do, what you can't, and you need to be calm. All the owners, flat, I've had very, very challenging owners, and uh, some of them have been flapping, and like, oh, I need this, this, and this. You're okay, and calm, because if it comes from, you take your direction from the top in crew, it's very hierarchical. So your juniors can be, I think one of the questions was the captain's responsibility to educate junior crew. It is and it isn't. It's the head of departments, it's the senior crew that the captain hires should be educating those junior crew in how to behave, how to do it, and that's how you get the experience. Okay, that, I mean, on, on that question, anyone that knows me knows my, my views on mentoring, and I, I personally think it's a, um, it's a fundamental part of every master's job. Yeah. Um, and if, if you're not prepared to take that you know, on as part of your role, I think you're, you're in the wrong position. Um, that's, that's, that's my personal take on it, and I think it doesn't happen enough. Obviously, heads of department as well can be extremely important in this, and they can be a really valued asset. Uh, there was another, there was a question there. Can we just go back to the questions again, please? Um, Jacqueline, because I ask this to you because you've obviously used the psychometric personality profiling, etc. cetera. Um, I think we're basically we're asking, does it work? Yes, I think it does work. I think it, I think it's, it needs to be supported with a, a very strong job description and a knowledge of what's happening on the boat, where the boat's going and what sort of owner you're dealing with. It's certainly done in conjunction with the captain and the heads of departments. We do do it, um, we certainly do do it um, with junior crew, because I saw there was another question um, earlier. It is, it can be quite expensive if you don't use an off-the-shelf one, if you actually train to do it. The licensing is quite expensive. Thing, yeah. Do we find it improves crew performance and longevity? Yes, we do. I think it was actually driven by an owner's, um, an owner's uh, family office team. They were very worried about the height turnover, and we looked at it through their eyes, and you know they were looking at the cost, of course, but also because the owner's experience is, is directly impacted by repeated crew changeover. They like to see the same faces, and much as we do that, as we also do exit interviews, we do the end of year reviews, I think the whole idea is to try and ensure that, you're, that you notice problems before they arrive, you know, try and get the best people into the positions at the time, 
keep an eye on them throughout, work with them to look at their crew career progression, and then if they do leave, then you do an exit interview to find out why and see if there's something you can do to reduce it or to stop it happening in the future. So, yes. Okay, uh, right, here, here we've got a, a popular question. Um, hard to talk about crew welfare without mentioning the issue of sexual harassment. <coughs> Huge issue in the industry, I still feel. Um, does the panel feel like speaking to this and any potential solutions? Anyone got any particular views on this? This is a real humdinger, isn't it? It's, um, let's remember that sexual harassment isn't gender specific and neither is it industry specific. It is something which has been highlighted and I think the fact that the spotlight is now on this issue is probably the biggest step towards change that we could hope to achieve at this point. It's out there now, yeah. And from this point on we just need to keep the spotlight on the issue. No more hiding, no more nonsense, stamp it out, end of. I agree with that, but I also think there's a certain element of education involved. And the reason I say that, I was talking to an old school captain, if you like, who I've known for many, many years, and he was devastated because he'd been hit with a sexual harassment um, uh, claim. And, you know, in his mind, he'd always behaved in a certain way, flirted with the crew, and, and he'd never really realized that, it, you know, with a new generation of crew and a, an increased awareness of sexual harassment, he never thought for a minute that it, it is, would be yep. perceived as sexual harassment. Yep. And I think if, if there'd been education about it, an incident like that could have been avoided because he really didn't understand why it was wrong because it had been yeah. his modus operandi for so many years. So. Yeah. When, when, I, when I take over a new boat, one of the very first things I do is I sit down with the entire crew, first available opportunity, and just, you know, give them a lowdown who, who I am, what I'm about, you know, we're not going to make massive changes unless they're necessary, etc. This is something I always talk about. You know, it is not acceptable ever under any circumstances, and you just come and talk to me straight about it. If you don't want to talk to me, then talk to the purser, the chief steward, head of the department, but talk to somebody about it. Can I just come in on this? Um, going back to a topic that we spoke about yesterday with the millennials um, and the boundaries that they have in place in terms of sexual harassment, what, what, you've got to be extremely careful as an um, older male or female crew member uh, where perhaps a, a joke that was funny five years ago yeah. certainly isn't today. And that could be, right, that yeah. be offensive. So yeah, I think sure. um, um, a short, sharp breath, um, do I some, say something or not? has to be implemented as well at yeah, certain points. Sure. I, think, I think as well the factor that's maybe not considered, and I found actually this with newer crew coming in, not necessarily the older crew, was that they don't take into account the fact that they're living with these people. It's not just a yeah. workplace home it's, it's your home as yeah. well when you're on board. Which makes, and it, it makes the whole thing so much harder to deal and with. And it makes it more personal. Yeah. And then again, it's about communication, being open with it. Yeah. If if you shut it down straight away, I think if, you know I've witnessed multiple instances of someone, male or female, saying something they think is funny, and the other person going, "I yeah, don't think that's not, funny." Yeah. End of done. And they go, "Oh, okay." Uh, but yeah, it's right. It's talking about it. It's bringing it bring it to the front of, and center. I remember having a conversation with people talking to my stewardesses and saying, "Okay, look, you're not on the menu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, this is yeah. the thing, yeah, and it's okay. very rarely." in my experience, gone to a nasty place, but sure. it's got to be... That, that sort of leads me to a question to my fellow panellists, actually, which is, 
you know, we can, talk, we can talk about this in terms of crew to crew or, you know, within the sort of, within the crew on, on the boat. But what about when it's a guest or the owner? What, happen, what do you do about that? I can speak from personal experience. From Please charter. do. <laughs> <laughs> Had someone make There's a part at me. It's a little bit alarming. I was the night service girl. So I was staying up with the, with the guests, pouring the drinks, and had someone make a pass at me. The first thing I did, I went straight to the captain, yep. knocked on the door, woke him up, told yep. him what happened, told That's him it. I didn't want to be by myself, and the charter was over. Yep. And that was it. It was yep. done. I was very lucky to have... I've been very lucky in my career to have worked with some very good captains and chief stews and purses that I was able to do that. Okay, good. Uh, that's us out of time. Um, being as this is the last session, just like to say a huge thank you to Andrew and all of his team for organising an excellent event once again. Sorry, they're not Andrew. Super Yacht Radio. 